You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. What a great song of praise, and we want to continue to uh, praise God for how He's at work in our lives and at work in the church. We want to celebrate that just yesterday uh, we had a high school student uh, be baptized into Christ, Katrina Van Sant, and so we want to rejoice with her and her family as uh, she was baptized into Christ. In fact, uh, we've got a lot to celebrate here at Southwest. In fact, we're setting aside an entire weekend coming up, uh, the weekend of November 18th and 19th, to be just celebration weekend, and that's the weekend before Thanksgiving, and we just want to give thanks for all that God is doing here in the life of the church, Uh, and we also want to encourage those of you who have not yet taken that step of faith that we talked about last week of really trusting Christ and just surrendering to Him and and really just letting go and, and surrendering to Jesus' leadership in your life to consider taking that step of faith that weekend. Uh, we want to invite those that have not yet taken the step of faith of baptism to, to uh, make that decision. We'd love to see several people baptized that weekend. And also maybe those of you who've been coming here for a while and, and never uh, committed to membership, that'd be a great weekend for you to decide that as well. So uh, be thinking about that and, uh, and be looking forward to Celebration Weekend. On that weekend, we're going to be collecting uh, all these shoe boxes, and we'll be having a special prayer as we send those off to children all over the world, and, and uh, that's something to celebrate. We also, on that weekend, will celebrate, just kind of rehearse and review some of the blessings we've had in 2017, opening up Phase 2 and many of the opportunities here. Uh, we'll continue to talk about our vision uh, statement, bridging the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope and how we can live that out over the coming years, next three years. Also that weekend, we're going to have an opportunity to confirm those who are willing to continue to serve in leadership here at Southwest. And also, uh, we're excited to announce this weekend, and you'll see in the bulletin more information about this, but uh, Anna Bowman has uh, been nominated by the leadership team and elders to serve on leadership team, and she has agreed to serve in that role if uh, confirmed by the congregation. So, yeah. Um, you can read the little bio about Anna. She's got a lot of experience that she'll be bringing to leadership, and we're excited about seeing her uh, contributions. Also on Celebration Weekend, we're going to have a special offering, uh, and that special offering is uh, designed to help continue to enhance our weekend celebrations here at Southwest. At, at the past couple years, we've had special offerings that were all focused on enhancing our children and student ministry. In fact, last year it was, it was designed to just help uh, furnish the new children's wing and student wing, and, uh, and we're just grateful for that. But we want to give renewed attention this year to the actual worship center and what happens on the weekends for adults. And uh, so as I describe kind of some of the improvements we want to make, we're going to flash up on the screen some other churches that some of the uh, staging and some of the lighting and and screens because some of you have trouble seeing these screens from the back and so we want to just do some enhancements of our 
worship experience here on the weekends. And so, uh, actually, this is something Larry and our creative team has asked for the last couple of years, but we've kind of cut it uh, just because of the need to really provide something more for our children and students. So this year, we'd like to give renewed uh, attention to the atmosphere we have here uh, in this room on the weekends. So that as we're out there inviting and reaching out to those uh, in the in the area that we want to enhance hope in their life and and bridge that gap with them so they can have a hope that only Jesus provides. We want to provide a rich atmosphere in here as well. So with that said, uh, our special offering this year, uh, we want to lay before you some needs. Uh, We've priced some of those items and it looks like it'll be about uh, $50,000 to improve some of the area up here. Uh, And then with that also, we want to be good stewards and make a principal payment on our mortgage here uh, out of that portion of that. And then, of course, as everything we do, we want to add a mission component to our special offering. And this year, our mission component is to do another Feed the Hungry event uh, at the YMCA like we did last year and invite the community to be a part of that uh, as we want to continue to be reaching out and making a difference. So with that said, we want to encourage you to be praying about our special offering goal for this year of $70,000. We have a history since 1999 of having a special offering every year around Thanksgiving, and it seems like it's a good time of year to do that uh, with uh, remembering what we have to be thankful for and having gratitude be the motivation for generosity. And last year we had a goal of 50000 and just as God always does, he was at work in the lives of people who gave, and as a result of that, we had uh, our goal was 50000 We had almost $90,000 given last year in the special offering, which was great because it allowed us to finish out our phase two and furnish it in the way you see now. And so we want to put before you this special offering goal for 2017 and encourage you to be praying about that and asking God how you can be a part of that as well. With that said, let's pray, and then we'll dismiss our students uh, for their class in the student wing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for how you are a God who is worthy of praise and how that you're on record of saying you'll do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Father, we've seen that over and over again in the history of this church how we've put goals out there, we've prayed about it, and and it just seems like, Father, you always surpass that. And we thank you and praise you for that. And, Father, we have another goal here coming up, and we put that before you, and we just ask that you lead us and guide us as a church and guide us each individually how we could be a part of just enhancing the atmosphere here so that as more and more people come, we can have that kind of... uh, a worship environment that just draws them to you and draws them to your son, Jesus Christ, the, the, the hope of the world. And so we just pray, Father, that you'll uh, be at work in the coming weeks and just prepare us for that special weekend celebration. And it'll truly be a celebration of you and your power. We pray that you'll be at work in everything else that takes place today in the children's classes, the student wing but also in this room. We pray, Father, that your spirit will lead and guide each teacher so that uh, your word will be proclaimed and so that uh, uh, Jesus will be lifted up. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and dismiss uh, our students.
to their classes now in their student wing. And by the way, I just want to say before we get started in our message today, this is probably my favorite weekend of the year, you know? Uh, following uh, time change. Now, there's that time in the spring that I don't like so much when we lose an hour of sleep. But I like, I like this time of year. It, it just seems like people are just ready to worship. People, you know, have had that extra hour of sleep. Um, I've got a guy that I follow on Twitter that's a pastor and author who said, uh, he tweeted yesterday, he said that he loved fallback weekend because he said the people in his church get an extra hour of sleep, which means they fall asleep a little bit later in the sermon. And so I'm going to be watching you today, okay? So uh, if you fall asleep a little bit later or maybe don't even fall asleep, that'd be, that'd be great. Well, we've been uh, looking at a series of messages entitled, Go Fish. And throughout this series, we've been focusing on what it means to be Jesus' followers and take to heart the call of discipleship, which is embedded in his very first invitation to a group of fishermen. And in that invitation, in Mark chapter 1, we read this, Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fish for people. So throughout this series, we've talked about that to go fish or to fish for people is is another way of saying influencing others to want to follow Jesus as well. And it's important for us to mention during this series that it begins by us being grateful for the fact that someone reached out to us at one time and that we've been caught by God's love and we've been caught by the good news of Jesus Christ, and that in turn we want to share that good news with others so that they too can find the hope that we want to spread throughout this entire region that's found in Jesus Christ. Now, possibly the most hopeless people of Jesus' day were those that faced some kind of disease, some kind of incurable condition that that led them to just live life without hope. A couple groups of people that come to mind are the people that maybe were paralyzed by some kind of uh, accident or some kind of disease, or those that had leprosy, which was just a curse in that culture of that day. In our time together today, we're going to actually look at two individuals that approached Jesus. One of them was a leper, and one of them was a, a paralytic. And we're going to learn from that of just how uh, some important lessons that maybe we need to take to heart as we think about our faith in Christ and as we think about sharing our faith in Christ with others. And by the way, uh, we're going to be looking at a leper here that's, uh, excuse me, yeah, a leper that's described in Mark chapter 1. And uh, in our small groups this week, we're going to be looking at a couple of lepers that lived before Jesus walked on the earth in a story, a fascinating story found in the Old Testament. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of a small group this week because the discussions are going to be rich based on this uh, fascinating story. But today, let's look at, at, a, at, and the message today is titled, The One That Got Away. And we'll Maybe have a testimony a little bit or a little bit later that kind of touches on that. But for our two examples from Scripture, we're going to look at. Uh, we could title this the one that stepped up, and the one that was left behind. So first of all, the one that stepped up in Mark chapter one, verse forty. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus. 
begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Now let's just pause there for a moment. We're going to see throughout this story that this leper demonstrates great faith and great confidence that Jesus was the hope that he had longed for in what had previously been a hopeless situation. And let's see how Jesus responds to his pleading for help. In verse 41, we read, moved with compassion. You might want to underline that. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. I love this story. There's so much in the story to to dig out. And let's just mention a few things. First of all, the, the text tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. Some of you that read out the New International Version, it says that Jesus was indignant. But actually, as I dug into other translations, most translations translate this, he he was moved with pity or he was moved with compassion. I think that's important to note, that it wasn't simply with duty that Jesus responded to this man's request. It was with compassion. It would be one thing for Jesus to say, oh, well, Since you've been persistent, I will reluctantly heal you. Or it would have been another thing if Jesus would have really viewed this as an opportunity to show off his power, and he had great power. But it doesn't seem that that was his motivation either. His motivation wasn't to show off power. It wasn't just out of duty. It was out of deep compassion because he saw the physical, the emotional and the social implications of leprosy in this man's life. You see, in Jesus' day, the lepers were truly the outcasts of their society. They couldn't even live with the regular people. They, they were put off outside of the villages in their own separate areas or colonies. And in fact, if you study that period of time and that culture, when, when a leper, if, if they did get out of their arena and, and be on a road that maybe they would see somebody walking on that road that, that didn't have leprosy, they were required to uh, cover their face and shout, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine what that would do to somebody's psyche, somebody's sense of worth? If every time you saw somebody that didn't have this terrible condition you had, that you had to shout, unclean, unclean, like I'm not even worthy to be around other people. You see, we don't want to simply go fish and influence our world around us because it's a duty, because we're told to. Yes, Jesus did tell us if we want to follow him to go make fish for people. But it's got to go beyond duty for us to really be effective individually and as a church. It's got to come from something deeper. It's got to come from a sense of compassion. As we look around the world around us and we see people that are struggling, 
Maybe they're struggling with an addiction or some sinful habit that's taken over their life. Maybe they're struggling with broken relationships. Maybe they're struggling with just depression, just this sense of no hope. Those of us who've heard the good news of Jesus, we have a responsibility to to share with people that there's hope of a better way of life. And it's got to go beyond just duty. It's got to go from a deep compassion that we feel in our hearts for the hopeless situation that many people are facing. Well, we see that play out in this text as Jesus' primary concern for this man was, was not for him to get attention for the miracle that's being performed, but for this man to be able to re-enter life and live in community. So he gives him some very specific direction regarding that he is to go to the priest. The priest of that time, if you go back and read the Old Testament, they were the ones that were kind of the gatekeepers to keep these contagious diseases out of the community. And so he was to go to the priest and so that the priest could declare him clean so that he could re-enter community life. And yet we see that this man, even though that was his specific instructions from Jesus, he goes far beyond that. It says that, that he told not only the priests, but he tells everyone. Now, some have asked, even just a couple weeks ago, I had a couple of people ask me after a story we read from Jesus' life, of, of why did Jesus often tell people not to tell anyone, to not tell anyone of the miracle that he just performed? And that's a great question because it's a bit puzzling. Especially when churches today say, you know, go tell people about Jesus. Go tell people the good news. And Jesus' approach seems different, and, and it's hard to make sense of that. And, and I've wondered at times, you know, is it reverse psychology, you know, and just if I got up here on Sunday morning and said, man, this is so good, this great news we have in Christ and the hope we have in eternal life, don't go tell, don't tell anybody. You know, I've thought maybe that's a different strategy to take. But I don't think that's the reason why Jesus did that. In fact, as we keep reading, I believe that Jesus knew that if word got out about these miracles, something else would happen. Let's keep reading. Let's see what happened. In verse 45, But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places. But people from everywhere kept coming to him. You see, Jesus knew that once word got out who he truly was and the power that he had at his disposal, that everyone and their brother would come to Jesus, which would include the critics, right? And if everyone came to him wanting miracles, and that wasn't his primary purpose. Yes, the miracles displayed his power. But that was not his primary purpose, coming to earth, to to show off the power that he had as the Son of God. And, And he knew, though, that if the word got out that the critics would come and that the process would be sped up and that his eventual end of being crucified on earth would come much sooner. Now, Jesus came to die for us on the cross, but he also came to to train people to be his followers, 
so that they could carry on his mission and go fish for people. And so you see, Jesus had more work to do. He needed to spend more time with Andrew, Peter, James, and John. He needed to train them. What did it mean to be kingdom leaders? What did it mean to be people that were fishing for other people, sharing this good news? And so he was trying to delay the inevitable of what would come and eventually did when he was crucified in Jerusalem. Of course, the good news is that's not the end of the story. And he came back from the dead. Well, before we look at another example of Jesus who, who healed someone else who saw their hopelessness and boldly approached Jesus for an answer, I, I want to call someone up on stage to share their personal story. So I'm going to ask Scott LeBlanc if he would come up on stage. And um, I want to thank Scott for his willingness to come up on stage with me. Uh, you see, as we've been going through this series on Go Fish, um, Scott shared with me that he came across a letter that he had written a number of years ago, an old letter. And when he shared it with me, it was powerful. And um, I asked him if he'd be willing to share it with all of you. And I'm grateful that he's willing to do that. So, if, Scott, if you would uh, tell us a little bit about the letter that you found. Uh, sure. <clears throat> so, I'm doing my dresser clean out, which is desperately needed at my house. So that was like three hours of project. But when I was doing, cleaning my dresser out, I kind of saw tucked away under my socks in the back of the drawer, folded up pieces of paper. So as I was cleaning my drawers out, I got out this paper, unfolded it, and, um, well, this is, this is what I found. Um, it was a letter that I had written to my father about eight years ago. <clears throat> I just wanted to start by saying that I love you. I know this isn't a surprise to you, <clears throat> but I also know that it can never be said enough or heard enough. It's been nine months since we found out that you were sick and that inevitably it was going to take you away from me. At first, all I could think about was praying for a miracle, that God would wrap his arms around you and the cancer would be gone. I selfishly wanted to keep you here on earth with me. But as time passed, I started to think about how short life was here on earth as compared to the rest of eternity. This is a relatively new concept to me but I quickly recognized that I needed to focus on your spiritual health instead of your physical health. I know that you're not going to want to hear this, but I also know that as your son, you will at least listen. So here goes, Dad. Here's my story. About four years ago, Sherry's childhood friend, Mindy, died of breast cancer, leaving behind her, her husband and two sons. When Mindy passed, Sherry went down to services in Florida and spent time with Mark and the boys, as well as Mindy's parents and sisters. She couldn't imagine how they could be dealt with this, losing someone so close and so young. But then it became obvious to her. It was their faith, their faith in God's plan for each and every life, their faith in God's promise for always being with us, their faith in God's grace, the eternity that he offers us through the sacrifice of his son. And I only share this background, which is really Sherry's story, by the way, because it is a spark that started, or should I say restarted my journey. When Sherry came home, she, was, she had a passion that I hadn't seen before, she longed for and pursued the personal relationship with God that she had witnessed the power of firsthand in Mindy's family. And among other things, Sherry's quest led us to our new church home. At first, I was just trying to be the supportive husband, but it quickly became apparent that God was working on my heart as well. I was finding genuine joy serving and fellowshipping with the people at my church. I found some of the mature Christians so inspiring, their outlook on life was so refreshing. I was also finding real meaning in the worship songs that I was singing. I started to just catch a glimpse of how awesome God really is. Note, Dad, that I said is and not was. 
I can also see him working through all these things in all sorts of ways. So based on that, I decided to renew my relationship with God. I call this a renewal since I think it was, I was right on track when I was younger, but then I grew up. I started to get bogged down with succeeding in school and sports and girls. Then it was college and my career, my plan, making money and raising a family. I wasn't looking for help because I could handle it myself. And why not? You had raised me to be a strong, confident, self-sufficient man. The funny part is I thought I was doing pretty good based on my track record, the size of my house, the money in my checking account. Unfortunately, I didn't realize I was full of stress, worry, and contempt. So where am I going with all this? It wasn't really until I let go and gave him the reins in my life that I find real joy, comfort, and love. Again, you know me as well as anybody, so you know how difficult it was for me to give this control away, especially when I was successful by these worldly means. Giving God the reins and accepting his gift of grace has allowed me to let down my guard and open up my heart to the world around me. It has helped me accept that God has a plan for all of our lives and that things happen for a reason. I may not understand why they happen, but I find peace in knowing that part of, and that's where the letter ends. Thank you for sharing that heartfelt letter, Scott. And in the letter, you talk about your personal faith. Why, why did you think it was important to share your, your faith, your personal faith story with your dad? Well, you know, my dad was unreachable pretty much by all I would call standard methods. He went to church on and off throughout his life. He was surrounded by people, you know, doing loving things for him. And um, I just thought that maybe, you know, if I shared my story, his son, that it would kind of make it more personal and real to him. Well, Scott, I think, I think your letter also, throughout this series, we've talked about whether it's coming to faith initially or whether it's coming back to faith. And I think your letter tells powerfully that story of coming back to faith that you had when you were younger. Uh, why did you think that was important to share that renewal of faith in your life? Well, like you said, a lot of us, you know, we're churched in like, you know, as we were young and then we grow up and life catches up with us and we fall away. And, and that was my dad's situation. So me and my dad share that as a commonality in our stories. So, you know, I always also wanted to let him know that you know, God wants all of us exactly where we are, no matter what we have or haven't done. And my dad had burdens in his life that he couldn't release. And so I want to let him know that we all do. Very good. Well, as you reflect on this letter that you found, as you reflect on this series of Go Fish and, and our responsibility to tell others about the good news we found in Christ, the hope we found in Christ, what how does that impact you, and what, what would you like to share in reflection of that? Well, you guys probably noticed the letter wasn't finished. <clears throat> so I never gave it to him. And unfortunately, about three months after I wrote the letter, that opportunity was gone forever. You know, I'll never really know, at least in my time here on earth, whether, you know, dad made it to heaven. But what I do know is that I, I missed an opportunity. I, miss, I didn't seize boldly that responsibility that I had to share the gospel with someone that I, you know, was so near and dear to my heart. Um, so then I, got, I know God forgives me for, not my, for my lack of attention, my lack of courage. It hurts. It hurts every time I read the letter. Um, but what I do know 
is that I'm no longer going to be timid in sharing my, um, <clears throat> the gospel through my story. I pretty much decided that I'm going to put myself out there, be bold, and go fish. Thank you. Thank you. Scott and I have talked quite a bit about that um, letter. And Scott and I both shared that, you know, it's, it's good to know that we're not the judge. It's good to know that we worship a merciful God. He's the judge. And yet we are called to be witnesses. And we are called to be bold in sharing our faith with others so that others are prepared to meet the God that we worship. So I want to thank Scott very, very much. In some ways, we could just close right there and it would be a worthwhile day. And maybe we should, I don't know. But I want to share, if I could, just one more brief story to leave you with today to talk about the one that was left out. Because maybe Scott's letter and his passion has moved you to say, boy, there's somebody I need to talk to about my faith. There's somebody I need to talk to about the hope that Christ brings. And if that's the case, I hope this last story will be of encouragement to you as we look at the one that was left out. If we pick up the reading in Mark, and actually the very next verse in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the mat, the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. I absolutely love this story on so many fronts. I've taught it before because I just love it. It's one of my favorites. In fact, every time I read this story and really dig into it, I see something new. And by the way, isn't that the way reading God's Word, reading Scripture is? It's just, it's so rich. It's so, it's, it's God-inspired and it's just so full. I love the fact that these five guys, and yes, I say five guys, put their faith into action in a very visible way. The willingness of the paralyzed friend to be brought, to be carried to Jesus. Think about the courage it took for this man that had no strength in his legs to be carried on a mat and lifted, hoisted up on top of a roof and then a hole dug and then lowered down into a crowd. I think that took great courage to say, yeah, I'm, I'm willing for you to do that. I try to imagine what would it have been like to be in the crowd there that day when this event occurred? I think it would have been awesome to listen to Jesus teach. It, just, it would have been great. And I can just picture myself on, on the edge of my seat, just mesmerized by every word, every story told, every illustration, just being drawn in. 
And as my wife will point out, I'm not the most observant guy. And, and so because of it, I can lock into something I'm focused on and I can lose track of what's going on around me. Now, some of you are pretty observant, so maybe that first tink and a little light coming through the roof, you would have got your attention. But me, I'd probably be locked in and wouldn't have even noticed it until maybe uh, some clay or some mud probably from a sod roof, hit my head, and then I'd think it's somebody shooting a spitball from the back row. And then I'd realize something's happening, and then to see a man lowered down right in front of Jesus, oh, that would have been, that would have been awesome. I'm impressed by these four friends, that they were so determined to help their paralyzed friend and to help bridge the gap and overcome obstacles to help get him to Jesus so that Jesus could make a difference in his life and how creative they were to crawl up on the roof and dig a hole and lower him down in front of Jesus. You know, I became aware of recently of a church in Maryland that has a real cool practice of gathering around someone who has a need and surrounding that person with prayer and support. In fact, they give out in this practice, four uh, pieces of burlap sack. And, and they say, do you have a corner of the mat? Referencing this story. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago how that, that going fishing and fishing for other people is not an individual activity. It's a group activity. And sometimes it'll take two or three or four people to reach out to one person to help bring them to Jesus. I love this idea of having the corner of the mat of somebody else and say, I'll do my part. Maybe you feel timid or shy, but maybe you could come along somebody else that's trying to influence a friend or family member to come to know Jesus, and you could come alongside and help them. Is there somebody you need to get a corner of the mat to help lead to Jesus? But the thing that really grabbed me this time reading this story is Jesus. I never thought about it before. I never saw it before I dug into it this time preparing for this weekend. Is that which, which house was this that Jesus was teaching and preaching? If you go back and read verse 1, it says that Jesus was in his home. I guess I'd always thought that Jesus was in Peter's home. And maybe it was Peter's home and Jesus just had a room. But this was the home that Jesus was living in. And I started thinking about, wow. How would I feel if I'm in the middle of my living room and somebody starts knocking a hole in my roof? It's just another example because Jesus, you know, he's so compassionate in the moment. And I'm just being honest, I'd probably be thinking, okay, how much is that going to cost to fix? You might say, well, Jesus didn't own a house. Maybe he was renting. Okay, maybe he was, but renters still have responsibility. Of course, Jesus was a carpenter, so he could have fixed it. But I thought about that is that it was costly for Jesus, even this very miracle, but he didn't shrink back. And then how the guy was brought to Jesus so that Jesus would heal him of his paralysis. But instead of focusing on the paralysis, Jesus chooses to focus on forgiveness. I like what N.T. Wright had to say in his commentary on this text. He wrote, Forgiveness is the most powerful thing in this world, but, but because it's so costly, we prefer to settle for second best. 
Jesus, already on his way to paying the full price, offered nothing less than the best. As we keep reading, we see that the forgiveness Jesus freely gives becomes the center of controversy in the story. And the religious leaders get upset to say, who, who does this guy think that he is to forgive sin? And Jesus answers in, later in this same passage, is it easier to say the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? But Jesus says, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins, Go ahead and pick up your mat and walk. And the guy picks up his mat and walks. It's a miracle. But Jesus uses this opportunity to illustrate his, his number one concern for every person is that they be forgiven, that they be cleansed on the inside. You see, Jesus has a plan for each of us, for us to be forgiven and for us to be changed. And yet there's no question that this power and this power to forgive and this authority to forgive and this power to change our lives, it came with a great cost. It's a free gift for us to receive, but it was costly for Jesus to give. Have you ever thought about that every time, and Jesus said this often in his interactions with people, when he would say, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knew what it was going to take for that to be a reality. He knew for their sins to be forgiven and for our sins 2,000 years later as we read these stories, for our sins to be forgiven, it was going to take him paying the ultimate price. It was costly for him to say, and I know what that's going to mean. It means that I'm going to keep going the path and I'm going to die on a cross. Here at Southwest, we... We observe communion every week because we never want to get too far from the fact that we are following a Savior who paid a great cost, who paid a great price so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be changed. This morning as we take communion, as we pass the bread, as we pass the cup, it's a time for us to remember the price that was paid for us to be forgiven, how costly it was for Jesus. It's also a time for us to examine our hearts and lives and say, do I appreciate what Jesus did for me? And how has this forgiveness and this power that he has available to change my life, how am I responding to that? Am I grateful? And is that gratitude leading me to then say, who can I share this good news with? Is there somebody I need to pick up a mat to help bring them to Jesus? How are you responding to the love and the sacrifice of Jesus? How has that love and sacrifice changed you? And as we take communion together today, let's reflect on how it's going to change us as we go forward. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for these rich stories in Scripture. And thank you for the personal stories like Scott shared today of people's lives that are being changed 2,000 years later because of what Jesus did. 
Help us realize all this good news and all the hope we have in Christ is only possible because of the fact that Jesus was willing to go to the cross. Help us during this time of communion reflect on that. And help us, Father, to, to receive this gift with gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.